What will keep us following Jesus? Uh, when Carla was baptized um, a few months back now, she told us about her friend who was the first to clearly share the good news about Jesus with her. But the friend who helped lead her to Christ is no longer following Jesus. And there are probably others that we can recall here this morning who were once enthusiastic but now, now no longer seem interested. Now why does this happen? And um, how can we guard our hearts ourselves? Well, what does God have to say? Now it'll really help us if you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And if you don't have a Bible with you or on your phone, uh, put your hand up and one of the um, stewards will bring one to you if you keep your hand up. Hebrews chapter 13, you'll find this on page 1212 in the church Bibles. As you look that up, yeah, just keep your hands up and someone will bring you a, a Bible. This letter of Hebrews was written to address this very concern about those who were beginning to drift away. It's a letter of exhortation. Uh, that's how the letter writer describes it at the end of chapter 13, a brief letter of exhortation. We can only wonder what a long letter would be like. Uh, but as he says, a brief letter of exhortation. And he's, he's written this to urge this church in the first century not to drift away from Jesus, not to lose their confidence in the good news about Jesus. Now, why do people drift away? Well, simply put, other things become more important than Jesus. And two common distractions are given at the very beginning of chapter 13. The distractions of sex and money. In verse 4, the pursuit of sex outside of biblical marriage. And in verse 5, a life given over to the love and pursuit of money. These are common distractions. And what will help us to keep following Jesus and not fall away? Well, we saw two main answers in the first six verses a few weeks ago. And it is this, to, first of all, that we love the people of God in verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So that's the first thing, loving the people of God. And secondly, trusting the promises of God. Verse 5, the God who said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that's why, you see, being part of a local church is really important. A church where the Bible is preached and believed. Because what will keep us is loving the people of God and trusting the promises of God. And as we come to these next verses that we're going to examine this morning, we're going to see the importance of spiritual leadership to maintain a church, to be a church under the word of God. So let me read from verses uh, 7 down to 19 of Hebrews chapter 13. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. 
We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. This is God's inspired and sufficient word. Let's just briefly pray that God will speak to us now. Father, we thank you that you have, we've heard your voice as we've read your words. And so help us now as we meditate upon it that uh, each one of us would understand what it has to say and that you'd incline our hearts to believe your word and to trust Christ and to never let go of him. Lord, we ask that you'd continue to teach us as a church and lead us on as a church and keep us faithful to your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, these verses are a bit like a sandwich. Did you notice that? The meat in the middle describes the spiritual life of a Christian community, and the bits of bread either side are about spiritual leadership uh, in that uh, church community. Now, next week, we're going to consider the meat in the middle, and this week, we're going to consider the sort of the bits of bread either side about spiritual leadership. You see, for the people of God to be gathered and sustained by the promises of God, then you need to put yourself under a certain type of pastoral leadership. And on this Sunday where we're commissioning some of our most recent elders, I think this is a great section to help us understand what sort of leadership a church needs. It describes the characteristics of Christian leaders and how we should respond if we want to be those who persevere as Christians. And notice here that the teaching really is directed to the whole church uh, about how we will respond to godly leadership. And there are six things mentioned here that will keep us persevering and will enable us to be a blessing to uh, this local church, if this is your church, or to the church that you belong to if you're just visiting us here today. And they're grouped into two groups of three. And the first block kind of look back to the leaders of the past. And the second block of three are about the current leaders that this church has uh, that uh, the, the writer is addressing. So let's, uh, let's look at the first block. And there's three words there from verse seven uh, and eight. Uh, remember consider and imitate. Take a look at verse seven. 
remember your leaders. What is the essential mark of leadership in a church? Well, verse 7 tells us, it is those who spoke the word of God to you. Um, This is the essence of Christian leadership, to teach God's word. Let's think about that first for the original hearers and then for us. Uh, For those who first read this letter in the first century, the, the, the leaders that they're looking back to could well have been the apostles themselves, the first disciples of Jesus, who were the eyewitnesses of his life, who were eyewitnesses of his crucifixion upon the cross, who knew that he was buried, and then on the third day saw him raised from the dead. They were the ones who heard his teaching. And they're the ones who went about teaching it and proclaiming it. And it could well be that the the leaders that this writer is urging them to consider is the the apostolic disciples who first passed on the message of Jesus. Back in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 it says this, This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And then the writer says, remember your leaders. He urges them to remember these apostolic leaders of the past who first brought the good news. And it's as if uh, some of those leaders are not around with them at the moment. So they need to be reminded of them. They need to recall their faces and remember what was shared with them about their message. And of course, the role of faithful Christian leadership ever since from the first century onwards has been to faithfully pass on this same apostolic gospel. In essence, what we've got in the Bible, to faithfully pass on the Bible to the next generation, to preach this as the very word of God. The leaders we are to remember are those who believed the word and taught the word to us faithfully. Now sadly, that is not always true of those who say that they're Christian leaders today. I watched the TV show last night about two comics who are fishing and they were talking about their heart problems. And one of them said, well, let's go, uh, let's go to the, ask the local vicar, uh, what happens when you die? And you think, oh, this is amazing. This is on the BBC. They're going to go and ask a, a minister of the gospel, what happens when you die? And as they walk there, one of the comedians says to the other, so when, when you die, are you going to go to heaven or hell? And they sit down with the vicar, and the vicar sort of basically um, completely messed up the opportunity. And from what they showed on TV, didn't mention Jesus once. And actually, by the time it was over, it was quite clear that she didn't believe the Bible at all. And so there are those who call themselves Christian leaders, but they don't fulfill this fairly major characteristic of what's required of Christian leadership according to the Bible. Those who faithfully speak the word of God to you. And so, you know, if we have had that experience that we've had leaders in the past who've faithfully taught us the word. We should thank God for that. That is no small thing. Thank God for the Sunday school teachers who faithfully passed it on to us. Thank God for those who who taught us at summer Bible camps, who who taught us the Bible in our small group Bible studies. Thank God for those who are elders and pastors who preached it to us. Last weekend, I was down in London, and I heard... um, 
a woman speak who grew up uh, in North Korea. And she told a remarkable story of how in a family uh, escaped from North Korea. And eventually they found their way to uh, London. And she was invited to a church where for the very first time she heard a sermon. And it went on for 45 minutes. And she said, I wished it would never end. Because this is the first time she'd ever heard somebody talk about God. And she was hungry to learn about God. She'd never heard about God in North Korea. And she came and put her trust in the Lord Jesus by the end of that sermon. So we should thank God. Thank God as we remember those who faithfully spoke the word of God to us so that we could believe it. So that we could know Jesus. That we could trust Jesus. That we could be saved. And you know, if you're here today and you don't know what that means, please come and talk to me. I'd love to just sit down with you and share the good news with you so that you could put your faith and trust in Jesus yourself. Uh, Secondly, it says, uh, consider the outcome of their way of life, verse 7. So the first commanders will remember them and then take some time to consider their life. Reflect on the conduct of their lives. See, the Christian leaders who make the most difference on us are those who do so, whose lives are marked with integrity. Their life matched what was taught. The Christians who first read this letter would be able to recall those who faithfully preached the gospel to them and went the distance, kept trusting Jesus until the end. They could see the amazing fruit of their ministry in the church that was there and the churches that were planted. I'm really enjoying at the moment reading a book um, about an Australian evangelist called John Chapman. Uh, Chapau, everyone's reduced to an O in Australia. Chapau, and uh, I had the privilege of spending a year with Chapau, and it was a, it's fantastic to read these stories about his life. And what comes over as you read this book is that wherever he went around the world, you met the same guy. And what drove him and what he was passionate about was sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And consequently, he had a massive impact on others. And he'll have an enduring legacy in my life. Uh, what an amazing thing when we um, saw the funeral of Billy Graham and, and, and look back over his whole life. That here was a man who lived his life in the glare of the media. And yet by the end of his life there was no scandal at all. A leader marked with great integrity. His life matched what he preached And in 1 Timothy and Titus, we get a list of what qualifies someone to be a Christian leader in a church, an elder. And what's striking about these lists is the most notable thing about it is their character. There's only one ability that's required, and that's the ability to teach. And that, that should be obvious now from what we've already said about Christian leadership, speaking the word of God. All the rest is about having a godly character. Someone who's above reproach faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, someone who manages his own household well, it says. So the writer says, remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their lives. And thirdly, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith in verse 7. Now, when it comes to leaders, I think we have a tendency to, uh, to do two things. We tend to idolize the leaders of the past, 
and we tend to despise the leaders of the present. And uh, the same leaders that uh, we uh, kind of idolized in the past, if we talked to them when they were doing the job, they would feel that they were being despised as well. But suddenly something mystical happens when you stop leading. You become a glorious person. I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> uh, and there, are some, there have been some great ones in the past. Augustine, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, Billy Graham, John Stott, Martin Lloyd-Jones some of the past pastors here of Charlotte Chapel. And uh, the danger is we can idolize the leaders of the past. Some people get stuck and fixated on certain great leaders. I grew up in Wales, and everybody talked reverentially of the doctor. Not Doctor Who, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And they're all waiting for the next Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. But you know what? The thing that sustained the lives of these leaders of the past, and some of them are still living here in the room, is not their brilliance, not their giftedness, not their charisma, it was and is their faith. Imitate their faith, it says. And what was their faith in? It's in a person, it's in this this statement of verse eight. Here is the object of the Christian's faith and the object of Christian leaders' faith In this short statement, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Great leaders come and go, but Jesus Christ is eternally the same. See, all the theology of this book that we've studied now for many, many months is just as relevant today as when this letter was first penned and first read because it is about Jesus, and Jesus Christ is the same. He is eternally, in in his person, uh, God the Son. Even though heaven and earth may wear away, he remains the same, it says in chapter one. We learn in chapter one that he is the final and perfect word of God. God spoke in many and various ways in the past through many people, but now he has spoken definitively in his son. The exact radiance of the glory of God. See, the point is this, that we don't need any new revelation from God than what has been revealed to us by Jesus. What he said What he revealed in his earthly ministry, recorded in the New Testament, is just as true now as it was then. And, you know, the work that he completed by choosing voluntarily to die on a cross in the place of sinners, his resurrection from the dead says that he fully paid the price for all the sins of the people who would trust him. Their salvation is completely done and finished. And the, and the opening verses of chapter one talk about him as a high priest who has sat down. The work is completed. There is no more left to do. There's nothing that we need to do to add to this salvation. We can't top it up. There's nothing more to do. He's done it all. And he is the risen and reigning son of God who will rule over kingdom forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we imitate the faith of our godly leaders, 
we are to look not to these great men of the past, but we're to look to the same source of power, of revelation, of salvation in this same Jesus Christ that they trusted. Imitate their faith. And why is it so important that we remember the leaders of the past who believed and preached this unchanging gospel message about Jesus? Why is that so important? Because sadly, in every age, we find counterfeit leaders who who rise up and, and start teaching false gospels, who promote teaching that is strange and does not fit with what the Bible teaches. And often they present themselves as very reasonable and attractive. They often fit in very much with the way culture is running, and so they get a great hearing. They can write books and uh, can turn up into town and tell their best stories and, and uh, share their special insights. And, and they can just look a lot more interesting and exciting than the dull preacher that you hear week in and week out. And so we need to hear the warning of verse 9. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. Because the truth is that you will always have false teachers coming along teaching strange things. Things that are contrary to the word of God, that are not about Jesus, that are leading away from Jesus. And there are two big category errors that we need to watch out for. Uh, Those who kind of take away from what the Bible teaches. That's the Jesus minus kind of teachers, and they're those who add more to the Bible than Jesus teaches, the Jesus plus. And you can go to gatherings in the city where you'll be taught things like this, that the Bible is a record of, of how some people limited in their own cultural understanding have understood the Spirit of God speaking to them in their generation, and now we must listen to what the Spirit has to say to us in our generation, and it might be quite different to what we find in the New Testament. There are people who will teach that in this city. That's a Jesus minus. But here's the point. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the perfect and sufficient word of God to us. You can go to other gatherings where you'll hear on top of what Jesus has done, you need to also have kind of a special sort of additional faith in God, which will get you much more than just merely your sins being forgiven. You'll be able to kind of get material prosperity. You'll be able to be healed from all your diseases now, and you'll prosper in every sort of way. This is a Jesus plus message. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. His perfect and sufficient work on the cross is all that we need. And when we trust in him, we receive full salvation. We don't need to add anything extra to get something more on top of that. The inheritance of the kingdom is still ahead and so we live by faith now awaiting his return. And so instead of being carried away by the latest fads of dodgy theology and false teachers, we are to remember the leaders who spoke the word of God to us, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith in the never-changing, eternal Jesus Christ. So verse 7 kind of gets them to consider the leaders of the past. And as you get to the other bit of the uh, sandwich bread on the other bit of the chapter, in chapter seven, verse 17 and 18, 
he gets them to consider their current church leaders. Uh, and I'm aware this is kind of a tricky topic to talk about as a pastor. Uh, how you should view me and the other elders and the other spiritual leaders in the life of our church. Uh, particularly as we're in the middle of a decision as a church whether to start a repeat morning gathering. And I know not everybody is equally as thrilled about that thought. And the danger this morning is that as I preach this text you think, oh, Paul's just hammering away to get his way on this one decision. And I want you to know that's, that's, that's not the agenda. That's not the agenda at all. Uh, I'm delighted to hear your alternative thoughts and your questions and your queries and all the rest of it. And I'd love it if you have those. Do you come and share them personally with me? I really would like to hear them. But I do need to just simply teach what God's word says. I didn't pick the book of Hebrews for any particular reason than it's a great book to preach through. And this is where we've got to today. I need to simply teach what it says. And it seems as if in the original context, there was some tension between the members of the church there and their current leadership. Uh, Because there are three things that he urges them to do with regard to their existing church leaders. He tells them, have confidence, submit, and pray. Let's think about those three things. Have confidence. Here is a command of the Bible that we as members ought to be persuaded by our leaders to have confidence in them as they lead the church. Now this obviously fits in with what we've already considered. If uh, you're visiting today and your leaders in your church are not speaking the word of God to you, uh, if they are seeking to guide you with strange teachings that are not focused on Jesus Christ, then you should have no confidence in them whatsoever. But if the Lord has given us leaders who are preaching Jesus Christ, who are faithfully teaching the word of God, then I think there should be a default setting where we seek to be persuaded by our leaders. That's what verse 17 teaches. So, Uh, Let me ask you some questions as you think about uh, applying this to yourself or to me. How do we talk about the leaders that God has given us in our church? Whether that's Charlotte Chapel or um, some other church if if we're visiting today. What do we say about the leaders when we are with our long-term friends and confidence? When we're kicking back and telling it like it is. It's obviously not wrong to question, to challenge ideas, to suggest other solutions, especially, as I said earlier, when we make those directly to the leaders. But there is something spiritually unhealthy when our default position is essentially to oppose the leadership of the church and moan behind their backs. What should you do if you find you're always disagreeing with godly leaders who faithfully teach the Bible? Well, I'd say to you, you know, there are other churches in town that faithfully teach the Bible. Why don't you give them a go and, uh, and see if you're happier there? But if you find that you keep going to godly churches and you keep disagreeing with all the leaders, maybe there is a common link. And you might want to prayerfully consider that it might not be the leaders, but it might be something in your own heart. Secondly, submit to their authority. Do you see that leaders do have a God-given authority to lead a local church? 
submit to their authority, it says. Uh, Being willing to submit to what they teach from God's word and to follow uh, the way that they lead out of that teaching. See, instead of listening to the latest uh, new spiritual trends that sweep through the culture and through uh, Christendom and the media, the writer urges the Christians to submit themselves under the teaching authority of the leaders of their local church. See, what's the purpose of spiritual authority? Well, it's there in verse uh, 17. Because they keep watch over you. See, they watch over your souls is what it says in the original. Do you see why it is so tragic when people choose to distance themselves from, a, from church? Number one, it's pulling you away from loving relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ, which we need for our encouragement. But secondly, it's pulling us away from leaders who are given the task by God to watch over your soul. And so it's kind of a very significant thing when we just choose to maybe start dropping away and walking away. The role of the elders and pastors is to work in such a way that all the members of the church are strengthened in their faith, strengthened in their hope in Jesus Christ, and urged to keep on persevering. It's a call to the elders to have a a diligent watchfulness, uh, to pursue those who are straying and call them back, to go after Christ's lost sheep, to ensure that God's word is being properly taught, to, to protect the church from false teachers and false teaching. And we do live in a time where there are many strange teachings about. And so, um, will we be those who submit to what the Bible clearly teaches and therefore submit our lives under leaders who teach the plain meaning of Scripture? Or will we be carried away by the latest new thing that rolls into town, the latest big thing that promises the extra blessing, or the the new insight that means you don't really have to take the Bible seriously? What will we do? Will we stop listening to the word of God and drift away from our faith in Christ? Or will we stand our ground and have, have hearts that are eager to learn and obey? Now I can imagine, and I had this thought as I read this text, you know, well, isn't there a danger of um, leaders abusing their authority? Well, this is where the third point is so important. Pray for your leaders. Look at verse 18. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now, nobody knows for sure exactly who the writer is. Lots of doctors out there coming up with different theories that his name is never given in the book. But what was clear was that here was someone with a very close relationship with this particular church. Uh, he, he, he's looking forward to being restored back to them. And he includes himself as one of the leaders here as he urges them, please pray for us as leaders please do pray for your leaders what should you pray for them verse 18 pray that they would act always act with a clear conscience before God 
that there'd be nothing doubtful or morally dubious about what they do, that it wouldn't be for self-serving motives, but they would act with a clear conscience before God and desire to live honorably. That'd be a great thing to pray for your leaders. Pray that they will exercise authority wisely and lovingly as we deal with very difficult pastoral problems. Often in our prayer times when we say what pastoral needs, we, we, we reel out the list of illnesses that everybody has. There are far greater pastoral problems on top of illness that elders and pastors have to deal with. People get stuck in all sorts of difficult situations and ensnare themselves in all sorts of sins. And please pray that your pastors and elders will do a good job of watching over people's souls and would act honorably and with a clear conscience and be wise and loving in the way that they care for the sheep. I've often found myself in situations that are beyond knowing what's the right thing to do. There's been much prayer and agonizing over the way forward. So would you pray for your elders in this? And I'm so thankful to God for the men who are willing to be elders. For those who do it um, in their spare time on top of very busy jobs, I am in awe of those guys particularly. It is work. Uh, It says there uh, that it's a very uh, great idea to uh, submit to your leaders. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. It is work. It is taxing. It is difficult. And elders' wives will attest the their sighing husbands when they come back from elders meetings that it can be indeed tough work it can also be a great joy and delight it's so wonderful to see lives transformed by Jesus to the glory of God it is so wonderful when marriages are restored when people get back on track with Jesus when people make progress in their faith when gifts arise and develop and grow uh, when you see a church working in unity and love and peace these are things of great joy for spiritual leaders and in a moment we're going to publicly recognize some new elders for Charlotte Chapel but can I ask you just to bow your heads Let's have a moment of reflection. Just as we, each of us, examine our own lives this morning, our own hearts, there's a few questions for you to ponder. Are we imitating the faith of those leaders in the past who, with integrity, spoke God's word to us? Or are we being carried away with strange teaching? Are we a cause for joy as our leaders think of us or do we instead induce groaning? Are we praying for our leaders or moaning about them to our friends? Will we submit our lives under the word of God or will we reject it and turn away?